Sunday, June the 11th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. We're um, the second week in of our new series called What is Truth? Often when we think about truth, we think about something outside of us that we believe out there, that we believe about God, or we believe about life, or we believe about something. Uh, what we're actually exploring through this journey is truth that's within us, discovering truth from the inside out. A little recap from last week. I'd urge you, encourage you, if you missed last week, uh, to find the podcast and uh, to listen to that. It will lay, um, hopefully, some foundations for you in all that's to come. But a, a little recap here. Peter had what the Bible calls a divided heart. And just like you and I, his divided heart was revealed or exposed by his actions. You'll remember that moment when he was on a journey with Jesus to a town right up in the north called Caesarea Philippi. And like any long journey you have with someone, you end up talking about all kinds of things. And as they're journeying along the road, talking about all kinds of things, Jesus turns to them and he asks them the killer question. Who do you say that I am? And we know that in that moment, Peter finds the truth and says to Jesus, you are the Christ, the, the rescuer, the savior, the deliverer, the son of the living God. And Jesus then says, on that truth, you will become rock, Peter, on the rock of truth. And I'm going to change your name to Peter, uh, which means rock. It's a play on words because you are the one who believes the truth, which is the rock. And because you believe the truth, which is the rock, you will become the rock on which I will build my church. And it all looks really good. It's one of those wonderful moments when uh, Peter's alive in God's purpose and it all seems to fit together. But you'll know in that story it goes quickly wrong because of Peter's divided heart. Just a few verses later, Jesus says, well, if you are the rock on which I build my church, you need to understand that part of the truth is that I'm going to go to the cross. And Peter couldn't understand that. He wasn't ready for that. And he rejected that at that moment. Nevertheless, he recovers himself and his sense of passion and commitment to Jesus, so much so that when Peter's arrested, he chops off uh, a soldier's ear in, in a kind of act of courageous bravado, uh, trying to protect Jesus. And then, as we heard last week, he crumbles around a campfire with a slave girl. Why? Because some of his heart believes and is on fire for all that God's has for him, and another part of his heart is not yet redeemed, rescued, and saved. Now, we know that that's our story, don't we? Part of your heart is alive and rescued and redeemed, and part of you is not yet redeemed. Believe me. And that's true of me as well. Part of our hearts are not yet redeemed. 
And so we reminded ourselves last time that there is a Peter in all of us. I can be so strong and full of faith in this moment and almost in the next moment I can fall apart and be empty and anxious. I can believe God for this and have no faith whatsoever for that. I can promise God everything today on a Sunday after we've sung our songs together and yet I can deliver so little on a Monday. I can know God as my father and yet live as if I'm on my own. At times, I'm an agnostic because I live as if it doesn't really matter whether God's there or not. And at other times, I'm an atheist because I live and think and behave as if God's not even there. You with me? That's our story. That's our reality. And I've been reflecting this last week on these words of Jesus. When at the end of a feast of all that God can provide for our lives, Jesus says this is the greatest provision that you and I can have. That streams or rivers of life-giving water can flow from deep within us. Now, there's probably nobody here this morning who doesn't think to themselves, actually, if there is life-giving water, I want more of that. We all want that, don't we? The life-giving water to flow more fully, more freely, and to flow from deeper within us. And this is what Jesus said about that. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. In other words, whoever believes all the truth that's in him, whoever believes all the truth that's in Jesus, that person will have rivers of life-giving water flowing from deep within them. But our hearts are divided. And so we have the truth and the river flowing in part of our lives. And there's another part of our lives where that truth does not flow yet. Where the river is not so flowing. Not so flowing. Doesn't even make any sense. Where the river cannot flow yet because the truth is not there. And so we live with this reality of some of our heart knows it. But not all of it. And so the river doesn't flow in your life and mine as fully as it could. The river doesn't flow in your heart and mine as powerfully as it could. And it doesn't go as deep as it can because part of it is true and part of it is not yet true. The more parts of our hearts that believe the truth, the greater the river will flow. That's hopeful, isn't it? The more parts of your heart discover the truth, the greater the river will flow. David, the man described as being after God's own heart in the Old Testament, says that God's design and desire is for truth in our inner parts. That's what this is all about. What is truth in your inner place and in mine? If there's not truth in a part of your heart, what's there instead? A lie. Who's the father of lies? So wherever there isn't truth in our hearts, which is why, as we said last time, becomes so serious. 
is that whenever there is a lie, because there is no truth, we align ourselves not with the Father who loves us and has a great plan and purpose for our lives, but we align ourselves with the enemy who's seeking to deceive and to devour. We choose. That, that's the choice. And we live in this very kind of subjective world where there are all kinds of shades and gray and nothing is black and white, all kinds of stuff like that. But the reality of the gospel that's painted to us is that we, we either align ourselves with the truth, with the Father that loves us and has a great plan and purpose for our lives, or we align ourselves with the enemy who seeks to destroy and to devour us. That, that's the truth. And that's why Jesus would say, if you're, if you're not for me, you're against me. You, you can't, you can't be, you can't pretend that it's, you're neither here nor there. If you're not there, you're there. And there is no, uh, distinction. There is no kind of, uh, middle, middle ground. So there's nothing good about any of that, is there? There's nothing good about the things in my heart, and this is the truth, the things in my heart that are not yet true. And it, and it doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian for 50 years, whether you've done this, that, and the other, for as long as there is stuff in our hearts that isn't true, then that part of us is aligned with the enemy. And when John the Apostle is sitting on his rocking chair on the veranda of his lovely little house on the Isle of Patmos, that's how I imagine him, and he's writing down all the wise things that he thinks Christians need to remember, he says, whatever you do, don't deceive yourselves and say that there's no lie within you. Don't, don't, you make God out to be a liar if you say that. Don't ever be fooled into thinking you're all just full of truth and everything's hunky-dory because that isn't the truth. And you make God out to be a liar. So we're on this glorious journey that we talked about last time. A glorious journey of transformation where more of my heart gets caught up in the truth. I become more alive. I become more free. I become more the person that God wants me to be. I become more useful to people around me. I become more able to fulfill the purpose that God has for me. There's nothing bad about that journey. That's the journey we all want to be on, isn't it? And it's for those, as we saw last time, who are willing to be honest. It's the journey for those who will unveil their faces. The journey for those who will take off the mask and be real with themselves and with God and with others about what's going on in the deepest places. Those who are honest. And this journey of transformation feels to me like the journey that we needed to learn some years back when it came to reading the Bible. And we learned through a simple process, a tool called SOAP, what it would mean to hear what God is saying and do something about it. And some of us have been using SOAP ever since for the last 13 years, I think that is. Scripture, observation, application, and prayer. I think God's taking us on a similar journey now to help us deal with our inner world. Wouldn't it be a brilliant thing if week by week, month by month, year by year, a little bit of my heart was getting captivated by the truth? I was a little bit freer next week than I am this week. I was a little more like Jesus in a month's time than I am right now. I was a little more alive in his presence or a lot more uh, 12 months from now. That would be a good thing, wouldn't it? What a fabulous place that would be for a community of people to be on that sort of journey. And that's the journey that I think God's inviting us on. So how do lies grip us and what can we do about it? How do lies grip us 
and what can we do about it? This will probably take us a couple of weeks, I suspect. The stranglehold of lies is this. Lies produce in us the wrong fruit. That's the problem with lies. They align ourselves with the enemy and they produce in us the wrong fruit. According to your faith, according to what you believe, it will be done to you. Your faith will produce a reality. If you put your faith in a lie, that will produce a reality. Sometimes we think it's either faith or no faith. That that doesn't exist. You will always have faith in something. If you don't have faith in the truth, you will end up having faith in something that isn't true. And that faith will always produce fruit. We're always producing fruit. And at one level, that's just the law of the universe. That's just the way God created it to be. Whatever you put your trust in, whatever you look to, whatever frame of reference you live by, that will produce that kind of fruit in you. And you know that that's true. If you believe that you can't do it, what will probably happen? You won't do it. You don't need to be a spiritual guru to understand that reality that's at work in our lives. It's just the way we've been created to be. We live as physical beings, but also as emotional and spiritual beings. So whatever frame of reference we use, that will produce fruit in our lives. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. So if the roots of our lives, if the roots of our hearts are not in a good place, then the fruit that gets produced will be bad fruit. You will produce fruit. It's just not the kind of fruit that you want. And that's what Jesus was often saying. He's saying, look, whatever comes out of your mouth, ultimately, out of the overflow of the what? Of the heart, the mouth will speak. Out Out of what's in your heart, you will begin to act and behave. And this is a massive theme in the New Testament that I think people sometimes miss because we look at kind of just little bits of the New Testament at a time, the verse here and there. Almost all of Paul's letters begin, the first couple of chapters, depending how long the book is, the first section of the book is all about believing the right thing. And the second part of the book is about if you believe the right thing, this is the kind of right behavior that it will produce. So you believe the right thing and you will live the right way. What we've tried to do sometimes in our Christian life is to manage our behavior. If only I can try and behave the right way and we've concentrated on getting the behavior right, you know, do not smoke, do not swear, do not whatever it is, you know, all that sort of Sunday school stuff. We focus on the behavior. Must read my Bible more often. I must attend the prayer meeting. We focus on behavior. And the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says focus on belief and the right belief will produce the right fruit. You with me? Does that make sense? So, so wherever our roots are down in, whatever our frame of reference is, whatever we're believing, whatever we're holding on to, that will then produce the right fruit. But the trouble is we put loads of energy into managing our behavior when our belief system doesn't match up to it. That's why religious people are so angry and aggressive. And sometimes Christians are angry and aggressive because they know they have to manage their behavior. I have to be really nice and lovely to you because it's Sunday and Jesus loves us all. But inside I'm feeling cross and angry and irritable. But I can't show you that because that's not what Jesus would do. And so you might be pleased with yourself that you're not producing bad fruit. Believe me, you're producing bad fruit on the inside of your life right there. And that will come out. You know, that that kind of, ah, Jesus. 
shouted at your wife, you kicked the kids, or is it, you, no, you kick the cat, don't you? You're not allowed to kick the kids, you kick the cat because you can't kick the kids. But do you know what I mean? And, and we're, because we're trying to behave in a way that doesn't line up with what's going on in our hearts. Now, there's double trouble here. So if lives produce the wrong fruit, the bit that really, really, really gets us entangled is not the lie itself, but it's the way that we respond to the lie. It's the agreement we make. Our agreement with lies is what traps us. Our agreement with the lie is what traps us. So if the lie is kind of circling around you with one cord, the second cord that comes around and tightens the first one is the agreement that you make with it. Which is why Paul said, see that no one takes you captive. See that no one takes you captive by what you believe. See that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. When the lie comes, reject it. It's the lie and the agreement that seals the deal, which is why Paul says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. We've heard those verses a lot, haven't we? Take that lie and you capture it Otherwise, it will capture you. If you do not capture the lies in your heart, they have already captured you. Why does it trap us? Because when we agree with a lie, we make a vow. You see, the lie comes in and we give it control of that part of our lives. We make an agreement with it and we usually promise ourselves something in order to deal with it. A vow or an agreement, I promise, uh, it's a promise I make to myself about how I will live in the light of that lie. Because I'm believing the lie as if it's my truth. Are you with me? You see how powerful that is? I'm taking something that is utterly untrue and I'm acting on it as if it is true. How screwed up is that? If you wonder where your resilience has gone, if you wonder why sometimes your heart feels like it can barely stand up, it's because of that deception that's going on in our hearts. So, for example, the lie is that the enemy whispers into our hearts is that you will probably fail. And so you make a promise to yourself because no one likes to fail. It's better not to try. See how that works? My sin feels so awful, God must hate me. Therefore, and all this happens almost at a subconscious level, therefore I will hide away from God because of that sin. You see how that works? I don't feel very likable. So I'm going to keep my distance from the people that God has given me. You see how that works? Every lie elicits in us a response and it's that response, that agreement that we make with the lie that seals the deal and screws us up from the inside out. And so we have to untangle the lie and we have to untangle the agreements that we've made with that lie. 
So you've gone through an experience, perhaps as a child or even as an adult, and at the end of that experience, you felt like, I'm all alone. And the enemy whispers to you, do you know what? You're all alone. And you look around after you've just had that experience and you go, yeah, do you know what? Do you know what? You're right. I am alone. I am on my own. So you make a decision. I'm on my own. I've got to do it all myself. I'm living in a place of lack and loneliness. Can you see how loads of agreements come out of that simple moment? It's all down to me. I'm on my own. No one else cares for me. And we make these agreements in our hearts and they deceive us and tangle us up. There's a massive example of this in the Old Testament, the Israelites example. And it's, again, you know, in terms of that um, uh, belief and behavior in the New Testament, this is a the massive example of it in the Old Testament. You say, where is this in the Bible? It's in the big story. I mean, it's everywhere, but it's, all, it's in the big story. I just love you to see that. So uh, belief and behavior in the New Testament, orthodoxy, right belief, will lead to orthopraxis, right uh, uh, practice. In the Old Testament, we see this example, which is the big Old Testament story, is that God promised his people the promised land. That was the promise. It was a great promise. That's the truth. The Lord of heaven and earth said, I will give you a good land. These are the verses that uh, uh, Liam kindly read for us. A land with brooks and streams and deep springs. Sounds like center parks, doesn't it? Gushing out into the valleys and hills. A land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and can dig copper out of the hills. What a, what a promise. That, that was God's promise to his people. The God of heaven and earth promised that to his people. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. That's the truth. And God proved himself faithful. He sent Moses down to Egypt where they were in slavery and they went through how many plagues? Not sure, are you? Ten? Was it ten? You sure? You think it's ten? I think it's ten. Let's, let's go for ten. Should we go for ten? And eventually, and eventually Pharaoh held the Egyptian, the, held the Israelites in slavery, let them go. They went out through the little part of the desert towards the Red Sea, and uh, Pharaoh changed his mind, said, what on earth have I done? Let's go and get these Israelites back, because if we don't have slaves in our country, who's going to do all the work? And so they raced after them to the Red Sea. What happened next? What happened next? They walked across because the sea, God, Moses held out his rod, God opened up the sea. So miracle after miracle, God is proving himself faithful to the promise. That's the truth. You with me? So there's lots of truth going on. And then six weeks into the wilderness, what happens? Sorry? They, well, even before that, I mean, they disobey in their hearts. What happens six weeks in? They start to grumble. They start to grumble. And, and they're beginning to get a little bit anxious that God can't provide for them. We've just had ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea, and they're giving it, God, we're not quite sure whether you're going to do this for us. I mean, it's laughable, isn't it? But that's what a divided heart does. Part of their heart was rooted in what God was doing. Another part of it was not yet redeemed. And they lent into the wrong part of their heart, and they began to grumble. The Israelites said to themselves, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. How absurd is that as a lie? 
That would have been better for us if we'd never left Egypt. There we sat around with pots of meat. No, they didn't. And ate all the food we wanted. No, they didn't. But they have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. How did they get to that point? At some point in those six weeks, a little lie entered their heads that said, God might have been faithful to us getting us out of Egypt. God might have been faithful to us getting us through the Red Sea. But right now in this desert, we're on our own. At some point, somebody whispered, do you know what? We're on our own. And the people looked around the desert and they went, flipping heck, do you know what? We're on our own. Chaps, we're on our own. And if we're on our own, we're going to die here. So it would be better. If, and suddenly, can you see, they're making an agreement with the lie. They're saying we're on our own. They're agreeing with that which isn't truth. And it's that agreement that held them captive and ended up with this ridiculous notion of them going, do you know what? It would have been better if we just stayed in Egypt. At least, and it says in, in numbers, at least we had cucumbers in Egypt. I mean, I wouldn't walk down those steps for a cucumber, let alone go back to Egypt. I mean, what is a cucumber about? Isn't it the most pointless bit of salady, fruity stuff? Just wet and load of nothing. Tastes like absolutely nothing. That's truth right there. You can believe a lie if you like. I want you to think every time you eat a cucumber, do you know what? I'm believing a lie. This tastes like absolutely nothing. I don't know why I'm eating it. Yeah, so you need something else with it, don't you? Yeah, it's like why I have bread so that I can have butter. I have butter with a bit of bread. That's the truth as well. So they're, they're just a few weeks in. And they've agreed with a lie. Can, can, it's really important that we understand what's going on. Have I made that clear enough? Can you see what's happening here? This is so important to the journey that we're on. They make this agreement. What happened next? What happened next was 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years in the wilderness because they agreed with a lie. That's how powerful this thing is. 40 years in the wilderness. And if maybe you're thinking that in a part of your life you've been wandering around the wilderness for 40 years, I promise you this will be the reason. Because somewhere, at some point, perhaps at an unguarded moment, a lie came into your heart and you looked around and you go, do you know what, that's true. I'm on my own. Or whatever it might be. And you made that agreement back there. And you've been wandering ever since. So how do we start to fix this? Last week, we talked about honesty. If we're going to fix this stuff, we have to be honest about it. And, and generally, Christians haven't been that great at being honest. You know, one of the things that we're glad to be in a Baptist church rather than perhaps a Catholic church is that we don't have to do confession. And that's why you're here, isn't it? Because you thought, flipping heck, if I've got to confess every week... I'm going to go to that Baptist church. They they don't seem to care what's going on on the inside. I can just get away with it. Don't have to tell anybody about it. Until you get to that verse in James when it says, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. Now there's a thought. Perhaps some of us are sick because we haven't learned to confess yet. That's where we're heading just now. So we need to be honest. I need to be willing to be honest. And that's a hard journey because I don't want to be honest with myself about it. I want to think I've got it all together. 
And the reason I need to think that I've got it all together is I need you to think that I've got it all together. And if I'm not that convinced, it'll be harder for me to convince you. So I convince myself that I've got it all together in order to stand a better chance of convincing you that you've got it all together and you do exactly the same. Don't you? Honestly, you do. You're not as fixed as you think, people. That's what we do. We want to cover it up. Which is exactly what happened right at the beginning. Can you see how this all gets tracked back? See how it's the major theme of the scriptures. What caused Adam and Eve to sin? It was a lie. If you eat that fruit, you will surely die, said that's the truth. If you eat that fruit, said the serpent, you will not die. And they went, do you know what? I think that snakes onto something. I think maybe that's the truth. And they agreed with the lie. What was the next thing that they did? They hid. They hid. And our attempts to hide are so pathetic, it's like getting a little fig leaf and trying to cover yourself up. That's what they did. They hid. And we've been hiding ever since. If we are going to journey back to walk with God in the way that we were always intended to walk, we will have to come out of hiding. Does that make sense? We'll have to come out of hiding and be honest. Be honest with ourselves. Be honest with God. And we need each other, being honest with each other to help us with that. Honesty. So that was last week. Took quite a while on that. I think I did that better this week than I did last week. Second part of the journey is to repent. You see, if you've taken a lie and made it your truth, that's a sin. That's a sin. A sin is everything that goes against God's purpose for your life. You can call it what you like, but it's a, the Bible uses the word sin because it kind of captures. Sin's not just dark, evil stuff, although the deception in our hearts is kind of dark and evil sometimes. Everything, it's a sin. And if it's a sin, what do you do with sin? You have to acknowledge it, be honest about it, and repent. The Bible says turn, turn away, turn around for it. If you, if you believe you're not very lovable, for example, that's a lie, isn't it? And it's a sin that offends God's heart. Because God made you and he loves you. And we like to think, oh, that's nothing. It's just me. It's just my, I've just got low self esteem. No, 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 that's a sin. Because the truth is, God loves you completely and utterly. So if you don't love yourself, then that's a sin. And I don't say that lightly and easily. We're all struggling to learn to love ourselves, aren't we? But when we don't, it's a sin because we're aligning ourselves with something that isn't true. If you believe that God loves others more than you, hmm, there's a thought. God's more likely to answer someone else's prayer rather than yours. Hmm. God blesses everyone else but you. Inference, God doesn't like you, love you as much as he loves someone else. That's a sin. Can you see that? It's a lie that you're making an agreement with and it's getting a hold of your life. If you believe that God won't come through for you, won't come through for your marriage, for your family, if you don't believe that God has forgiven you, you keep on striving, all that stuff, all these things are offensive to God and they're a a sin. So what do we need to do? 
Great, I'll do. If we confess, if we're honest, confess our sins, be open about that reality in our lives, God is what? God is ready to say, I told you so, I told you so. It's taking a long time to sort that out, isn't it? God is ready to, oh yes, you are that awful person that I always knew you were. God is faithful. Faithful and it echoes the psalmist who says God is faithful and loving towards all he has made. Echoes in scripture all over the place. God is faithful. What would, this, what would they hear that people steeped in the Old Testament? God is faithful. Ah, oh, yes, and he's loving towards all his men. If we confess our sins, God the faithful one who's loving to me and all that he has made will forgive, will sort out the break in relationship. But more than that, he will purify us or cleanse us or heal us or rescue us, whatever word you want. The word, original word is so deep from everything that's unrighteous, untrue, incorrect in our lives. And every time God does that, a little bit of our heart gets put back together. And every time a little bit of your heart and mind gets put back together, more of the river can flow that Jesus talked about on the last and greatest day of the feast. And every time your heart gets put a little bit more back together, that river can flow just a little bit deeper. And every time that happens is what Paul says, when the journey that you're on is from a glorious one into glory. That's the invitation. That's the invitation. That every single day, I can learn to give a little bit more of my heart to Jesus. I can learn to find truth in my inner part. I can cry out to God, God, today do a work in me that gives me more of an undivided heart. That's the journey. Lots more to walking that out and stuff. We've got to think about walking it out. We've got to think about why lies attach themselves to us, particularly when we're vulnerable. We've got to do a few other bits and pieces just to get our bearings. And we're going to come out in next week, week after at some point, with what I hope is going to be a simple framework that helps you and me learn to do this stuff. Because I need this. I, I, I need this. I mean, I've got a fair bit of glory knocking around every now and again, but I want a heck of a lot more. I'm not done with God's glory. Are you? So much more. So I'm mean, barely scratching the surface of what he has for us if we believe the scriptures. Great. That's it then. I'm done. So what are we going to do about it? 90 seconds in silence. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Just quietly, in your heart. There'll be different things rising. It'd be about the struggle to be honest about something, maybe. Maybe there's something you're ready to confess. Maybe just the, the, the reorientation, the mindset shift to go, actually, when I feel sorry for myself, or when I think of myself less than I should, I'm offending God, and that's a sin. Maybe you think about an agreement that you've made. A little lie came in one day and you went, do you know what? That's true. And you've lived as if it's true. You've made a lie, your own personal truth. Maybe God's just reminding you of an area of your life where you've been wandering in the desert, perhaps even for 40 years. 
And it's all because you've lived out of a lie. What's God saying? What are you going to do about it? Simone's going to come and uh, just sing over us as we make our response. I, I, I can't remember whether it was here or somewhere else where I was sharing recently about the reason that often we don't want to be honest about what's in our hearts is I'm afraid of how you will treat me if you knew what was true of me. And we're all like that. But God knows everything there is to know about us. There's no fear. Perfect love, Bible says, cast out all fear. There's no fear of telling God what he already knows. So why do I need to tell him if he already knows? I need to tell him because I need to know. You with me? I need to tell him because I need to own it. I need to tell him because I need to take responsibility for what I've allowed to live in my heart as if it's true when actually it's a, it's a lie. Let's use the space and the time. You can join uh, Simone and Jack as they sing or you just... Uh, uh, allow the, the the moment to be in Jesus' presence. And wherever he leads you this morning, give a little bit of your heart to him.